Chapter 18 The Parting Simpha pounded the last nail into the hole below deck as Strevan came down the creaking stairs. He dropped the last plank he'd fashioned with a grunt and knelt beside her. Are you sure? He asked, sweat dripping from his locks of Yeezy and Red. That's enough? Simpha wiped her own forehead, checking over the shoddy job they'd done. When she'd heard the grinding noise of Forest Worm two days before, she'd hoped she was wrong. She wasn't. The worm had made a den in the hole of the Cloud Racer, and what she'd heard below deck was it sliding some part of its length out into the tunnel outside. That should do it, she said, letting out a sigh. I thought you said you never wanted to follow your Da's footsteps. These are some well-cut trees. Struven cracked a smile. A logger? I don't. It doesn't mean I didn't pick up a few tricks. I spent plenty in early morning helping him out when I was a wee one. Simpha nodded, pulling the plank into place. She struck once, then stopped. Uh, how's Jaffreen? Still down? Striven nodded and rose to his feet, and he tried to brace his wounded back with his hand. <sighs> Could be another day or so still. Not sure. All right. Simpha refocused. I made the change to the pipework I wanted on the engine. I just had to take a break. Work another muscle. She raised the mallet. I hope to bang out and rebalance the propeller by nightfall. Striven turned to go quietly, then stopped at the first stair step. Do you think Commander Gliderlance is okay? What if he doesn't make it? Simpha heard him, but started pounding anyway. Then we go home, but he'll make it. Striven nodded with confidence, then strode up the steps. Simpha put her eyes back to her work. It was the only thing keeping her from worry. They'd slept long in their cabins the night before, but when Simpha finally joined Striven and Tartara on deck, she felt dizzy and didn't look forward to climbing up to the rotor. A strange shadow cast itself across the cloud racer. The tower of vegetation with the corpse of the worm still stood as a tall reminder of what had happened. It had a funny smell already, and she imagined it was only going to get worse. Tatara flew down from her lookout spot atop the highest propeller. You look beat. Simpha shook her head with a slight smile. The fairy zipped to her shoulder. I think I can help you with this, she said. You wanted it nice and straight, right? Hail, ranges of ease. Simpha's heart jumped, glancing over to Striven already standing on the starboard railing. He raised his arms up suddenly at the voice that had called from the Modica's forest below. It's them, he said, higher pitched than usual. Simpha, Tatara at her side, ran to him, getting a look for themselves. <laughs> Simpha felt herself release a bit of the emotional tension she'd been holding. She cried out, teasing. What took you so long? She first caught the scent of their horses and was surprised to see both Darf and Aldor still with them. Lala laughed. <laughs> we were only a few miles off, and a bit west. It was that thing up there that led us straight here. She pointed at the forest worm above the trees. Term took a deep breath at the sight of it, his face a little confused and, Simpha almost would have said, frightened. By the time the riders dismounted, Totara already shot down towards Term. Then she clasped his arm in as big of a hug she could muster as Simpha and Striven descended just behind her. It's good to see you all safe! She piped happily. I return the same to you, little one, said Turum, tossing the reins over his horse's saddle. He'd already started grabbing saddlebags and gear, ready to load them on the cloud racer and be off. Simpha was glad at their arrival, but quickly her mind shifted. I've got one last task to finish up with the propeller. Monikin approached and bowed her, 
while Term took a few steps closer and put his hand on her arm again. What can we do? We'll sort it out, said Simpha with a smile. Tartara's light and can get up there easily. Darf grunted. Hello. Walking past them toward the airship with a barrel and a set of bags over each shoulder. His tone wasn't exactly friendly, but it was the kind of Simpha had heard from him. She nodded and smiled. Thanks for taking care of them, Darf, and for coming along. But Darf stomped off toward the rope ladder and began to climb aboard. I think my friend has the right idea, said Aldor slowly, watching Darf climb. He was clearly looking over the cloud racer. I hear this thing can fly. He scratched his head just beneath his helmet. But if we're going to make it to the Knight's Cape, we'd best gather up our supplies from these Raken beasts and get moving. Come, we can exchange pleasantries and travel tales on deck, agreed Turum. He took a few steps to apparently see further eastward. They're not far off. The trees seem to cringe at the coming of a foul thing. He suddenly looked around, as if he'd realized something. Where's Jeffreen? With Streven at his side, Turm slowly opened the door to the cabin where Jeffreen slept. Over one arm, he carried a blanket they'd packed. The little light let in by the small window that had been covered by whatever the rangers had been able to find, making the room very dark. Jeffreen lay on the bed, one palm over her face. She must have fallen asleep that way. That forest worm dangling outside? Whispered Turum. Caused her a mage migraine. Yeah. Returned Streven quietly. Is that normal? She's strong, but I've never seen her do anything quite like that. It was so powerful. And she used all sorts of other spells just to get us here. And then there was Tartara. Turum remained quiet at the door, watching Jaffreen for a moment. With quiet steps, though, he went forward and draped the blanket across her. She practically brought her back to life, Streven said, still hushed. When the druids and the rangers became one, there were always whispering she was special. I just... that was something. Term took a last deep breath and debated whether he should talk to her or not. She needed rest, though, and whatever he still had to say about the magic and what the clerics at Grendelok Keep would do, he could tell Streven. He trusted Streven. And what was more important, Straven trusted him. He turned to go and let Straven join him just outside, then looked him in the eye. Straven, you have to keep her from using her magic at Grindelok Keep. The paladins of Lumina and all the clergy, they've always taught us magic is base and wrong. They say that no one really knows what gives this sort of power, so people shouldn't meddle with what they don't understand. Straven kept his eyes locked. He nodded slowly. I'll do what I can. I've seen several of the druids command the woods and waters of ease, and I don't understand it either. I'm even pretty sure Jaffreen doesn't truly know where it's all coming from. Heck, she doesn't even know where she came from. Term furrowed his brow. What do you mean? Striven stared back at the door to Jaffreen's cabin again. As far as anyone knows, she has no parents. When they returned to the deck near the mainmast, Turn pushed the thoughts of Jeffreen's peculiarities away for the moment. It was big, but again, it could wait. The sound of hammer against metal immediately ground on his nerves, reminding him that they hadn't left yet. That was more pressing, getting into the air. Are we set? He asked again, probably sounding impatient. Tatara gave Simpha, who was sitting atop the largest propeller, a high five. All ready, Commander. 
That should spin much smoother now. Simpha smiled down at him as Tatara flew off. She looked around a second for a good foothold. But Darf came up, already waiting nearby. Jump, Red. I won't drop you. Simpha narrowed her eyes, seeming to be thinking it over. Then with a scoot, she hopped down. Darf caught her beneath the arms with his big hands. Gently, he set her on deck. Thanks, Darf. Simpha looked up at him. She lingered a moment, and then marched across the deck to the wheel. As he came up, Aldor's heavy soles thumped down on the boards. He turned and pulled the rope ladder up behind him. That's a lot of it, he said. I sent those beasts off. We're not keeping them? Asked Lala from the other side of the deck. Of course not. Aldor shook his head, then wiped his hands. They've done their duty. They'll head back home on their own. There's no room here, Term told her. His swift eyes cast around, then met with Simpha's. He felt bad. Simpha especially had worked so hard to get him home. She clearly needed more rest. Still, they needed to go. Right now. With a few deaf-fingered movements, Simpha attached a new handle below the wheel. All right, shipmates, she said. We're ship shape. Term could tell she was excited. He gave a look to Minakin, who returned his own nod. Let's be off, said the Kifkin. With the clank of inner cogs, the old sound of the rotors were, and the hiss of steam, the cloud racer lifted through the branches, shuddering into the sky above the Modokan's forest. Hold fast to whatever you can, Simpha instructed. Term immediately took assessment of every direction, now that they approached the clouds again, but especially toward the east. Karagard Keep was too far off, along the coast. He stared hard, but couldn't focus tight enough to see through the haze of blue and the light fog. But then he saw, just below them, like a handful of dark stones thrown into the clearing. Dragonites on raptors burst from the edge of the wood below. Over the sound of the cloud razor, he couldn't even hear them. But they saw the airship, there was no doubt about that. They looked up, shaking their fists and pointing. Raptors leapt up like wolves beneath a high bird's nest. We made it out of here just in time, Tur muttered slowly. Monikin took quick steps to his side and stared over the edge as the ground slowly fell away. So it seems. They watched until the specks faded into the distance, then Term turned his attention to the others, trying to shake off the uneasiness at how close they'd been. It was obviously the first time that Aldor and Lala had flown, so the two stood close to each other out front, experiencing its newness together. Term forced a smile. My beard! exclaimed Aldor. I had no idea it'd be like this. Term remembered his own maiden voyage on the airship. Aldor still seemed undecided about it all, too. Like this? Me neither, replied Lala near the rail. Though, I've always wondered what it would be like to fly like a bird in the sky. To see the leagues in all directions and know I wasn't going to wake up or fall. Term watched the dark green tops of the trees seem to shrink. He could see the pale grasses of the ivory plains beyond the westernmost edge of the Modokas. Birds swirled around the cloud racer, apparently curious about the gargantuan bird that had risen into their skies. The wind blew softly at first, and then grew stronger as though it was angry with their unnatural vessel. The cloud racer abruptly jerked and rumbled. Sorry! shouted Simpha apologetically. Just a bit of rowdy wind. Typey's tricks again. No worries! We patched up the hole the forest worm left below deck, so we might have a little drag. Nothing substantial, though. Aldor grasped the railing. He looked as though he was going to swallow his tongue. What in the god's name? He exclaimed, his face pale. This doesn't seem safe to me, nor ma'am, not in the slightest. How can you trust such a wild invention? 
Aldor tromped over to the middle of the main deck, leaning against the wooden overhang, grasping one post. He pulled out a pipe and chewed on its end nervously. I'd better keep an eye out east for dragons, thought Turin, unable to distract himself for long. He left his companions behind, walking back toward the cabin. In a few seconds though, Minikin was on his heels. Turin, do you believe we have a chance at victory? Asked Minikin in his straightforward manner. As Turin opened the door to the cabins, he looked into Minikin's eyes. He saw no fear there, only shadows of possible outcomes. He envied him for a moment. I didn't think you were worried about that. I'm considering what's about to happen, and you haven't answered my question. They passed through the narrow hall where Jaffreen still rested and opened the door to the rear deck. The air was still cold, but it was much easier to hear and a little warmer. I don't put aside all hope. No, I can't. Indeed, it seems we're still unsure of the enemy's movements. All we can do is plan for all possibilities in both Tusakan and at Grendelok Keep. The two of them looked off the rear deck towards the fading east. Several birds trailed them, which gave Turm a start before he gained his senses that it wasn't the dragon army coming yet. Turm hadn't taken the time to think the attack through for a while. These talks with Minikin were always illuminating. He had a grasp on strategy and tactics Turm appreciated, unlike any fisherman's son he'd ever met. You do intend to take me to Tassacod now, said Minikin beside him. His eyes were towards the ocean, south of them and off to their left. I saw the debate in your eyes many days ago. Now you've no choice. Direct truth as always. Term cracked a smile. Know that I appreciate it. But are we certain? Certain enough. Daltaria and the Council of Races must be their target. And Tasakan is closest to that target. Said Minikin, looking towards him, his scarf whipping in the wind. Besides, Wentzfalas is crift and a terrible place to make an attack from. The Knights of the Bobcat at the Kalaman Wall are too close, and their horses are swift. That opposition is well known to the Dragon Army there, I'm sure. And the landing in other places along the coast must be ruled out because of the cliffs and treacherous surf. Turim nodded, then shivered as the wind on the rear of the deck caught his cloak and face. You've continued to think about every angle of this, Turim assessed. Minikin gave a quiet, hmm... For a brief, frightening second, Turm considered that he'd been wrong, that nothing was coming at all. It was mere fear, yet there was too much evidence otherwise. Their purpose in attacking the Council of Races is uncertain, but they'd gain a position and control from there that is unparalleled. Everything else would fall. Indeed, agreed Minikin. Once they finish with the Knights of the Hawk, what's left of their Dragon Wing should be enough to reinforce their Dark Knights on Rand and take the city. He didn't finish. He gave a resigned sigh. <sighs> Our defense of Tasakan is crucial. Term and Minikin both gave a last extended look toward the Motokaz, and then south to the Garanthian Ocean. Even Term couldn't see that far in either direction. No ships. I cannot see them if you cannot, stated Minikin. Then he relaxed his hands at his side. Come, let's ensure Sinfa is starting her southward veer to the coast, agreed Term at last. The hours passed as the planes continued on far below. They pressed westward. Once Aldor settled himself again, he stood with Darf on either side of Simpha. I understand ingenuity, spoke Aldor, but the dwarves prefer reliability to what you call progress. Simpha yawned but argued back. <sighs> if you always hold to tradition, people will never move themselves forward. 
grumbled Aldor. Things are fine as they are. We don't need forward. Sinfa shook her head. And soon Turim and the others saw Lala had stared up at something outside the doors to the cabins. Miss Maplebow, said Lala with a sheepish smile. It's good to see you up and about again. Shafreen stood leaning on her staff, with the other hand across her forehead, her ropes and cloak caught in a gust of wind. She gave a soft nod as Shriven and Tatara rushed over to help her to sit beneath the overhang on deck. Turim and the others came to her and gave her words of sympathy and wishes of well-being. Only Darf remained near the wheel where Simpha continued to pilot the airship. Turim kneeled down to where she sat, striven beside her. I wanted to tell all of you thank you again. You've suffered, and I need you to know it's more than appreciated. Jeffreen opened a squinted green eye. Worry not for me. I'll recover in a day or so. Let's just get you home, Commander. She smiled gently. It wasn't long after that, when Turim looked up to see that Lala appeared to be practicing the summoning of her creatures. She pet and watched them scurry around. Rabbites, blue geckins and green geckins, young griffin cubs, furry little wolf pups and brown cobats. What are you doing there? Turim asked her, stepping over a geckin. Lala looked up, her green eyes seeming distracted. Well, each time I do this, I feel more confident in my abilities as a cooler. I'm going to need them. As she drew near to the railing on the south side, though, she stopped, looking over the edge. Turim joined her to see what had caught her eye. When he looked down, he saw the speck of a small cluster of a few homes in the grasses of the Ivory Plains. That's my village, Lala said quietly. Turim put his hand on her shoulder. I didn't ask if you wanted to return there. Our time was pressing, and... No. Lala shook her head. There's no one left. Not yet, anyway. Maybe one day, I don't know. The memories of that place are too... They still hurt. They still echo. Looking around at the little furry creatures, Turim almost felt sick. Lala represented everything he fought and protected Genova for. These golden grasses, these farmers and herders who loved peaceful reading and the telling of tales at supper. You can stay at the keep until we figure out what to do after, he said, standing back from the rail. Lola nodded, her back to him now, still watching as the cloud racer let the village fade away behind them. Turm looked over his shoulder to see Simpha had been watching. She gave a nod to him and a light smile. The smile transformed into a yawn though, even as Turm stepped toward her. She nearly slapped herself, covering it with the back of her hand. Before Turm could say anything, Darf grunted. Red, you should sleep. I don't disagree, Lady Songbird, said Turm, looking over the wheel and its levers doubtfully, and if he was honest, extremely intimidated. I steered the wheel when I was pirating, said Darf, his hand on the back of his neck. I can keep it straight on a heading. Turm exchanged looks with Simpha before she looked up at Darf. Are you sure? She shivered. I don't know about that. Maybe. It's really not that hard. Just give me an hour. I'll land her when we get to Tussocan. Term looked around to the others, not looking forward to an explanation. Are you serious? I've been watching, grunted Darf, stepping closer to the wheel. I don't even have to fiddle with these other... Levers, offered Simpha. And that's true. The last fixes I made to the engine below deck keep me from having to vent much. And I haven't seen the heat fluctuate at all. Just as long as it's not me, then. Nodded Turm with an uncertain smile. Darf took the wheel, nudging Simpha aside. She stood and watched for a few moments, her eyes eventually closing. 
She rubbed them and jerked a nod. All right, he's fine. I'll be back. Don't crash. Yell at me if anything goes crazy. Turin watched her past the others and entered the door to the cabins, leaving several wide eyes on the rangers, and especially on Aldo's face. What? Turin defended his decision. He steered a ship plenty of times. It wasn't long before Turin, tired of watching Darf, and the half-ogre eyed him sharply enough that he walked away, his head full of thought at what was to come. War approached like a charging bull now, and he'd soon have to face it head on. Steadily, they drew closer to Tussacon as the hours passed, Darf didn't kill them, and eventually Simpha returned to pilot the remainder of the way, looking far more lively than she'd been. At last, Tussacon appeared on the horizon, its harbor speckled with fishing vessels of all sizes and shapes. The captains of those boats have no idea what is coming to them, said Meineken, peering out from the forecastle next to Turum. He turned to call over his shoulder. You may set your airship down in the courtyard, in front of Master Deepbender's dojo. The dojo itself was a wide, U-shaped dwelling with a sturdy, ready-tiled roof. The main roads, the only ones paved with round stone, could be seen leading out from the dojo and into the northern section. The rest throughout the city were dirt pathways that wound from dwelling to dwelling and down into the marketplace before the docks. Wide wooden gates opened at the east and west walls. Meineken told them that during the night, these gates were closed to visitors, while small doors were open for night travelers, allowed in only with the permission of city guards. You live at the dojo? asked Turum. The Tsarkim dojo is the primary stronghold of the Brak Taran. Yes, it became my permanent dwelling after I brought my mother back to Wurai to live. But that was years ago, after I lost my father. Turum remembered this story and couldn't help but think of his own father at that mention. It's rare I see it from this vantage, he noted, gazing over the edge. The last time I was here was not on Dragonback, and I don't often have patrols south this way. Meineken looked up to him. A fact that I hope you will change in the future. He gave a hint of a bow. All right, Sinfa called to Meineken from the helm. We're over the dojo's courtyard. Are you sure you want me to land here? Yes, Lady Songbird. Your call. I'll do my best to descend directly into the middle. Manikin folded his arms. His eyes looked happy beneath his black hood. Home at last. Turin peered down at the place they would land, spotting faces of the guards inside the dojo. But these were quite obviously a different kind than those set on the guard towers he'd seen at the edges of the city. These had rounded helms and carried spears. They were ninja. They looked tense. Looking up, they seemed to catch the sight of Master Shadowstar on deck. Then, over the loud drone of the propellers, cheers echoed from below. Looks like they're welcoming you back quite happily, Master Shadowstar, said Lala, coming up beside the Kithkin. So it seems, said Meineken gravely. They must have thought me dead by now. It's unfortunate I must bring the clown such harsh news. Like a candle baptized in water, it is sure to dampen their spirits. Turmered a hiss of steam belched inside the ship, and the cloud razor, at last, set its skids down into the courtyard. Men and Kithkin stood all around, the dominant races in Tusicon. They were dressed in dark gi, tunics worn by those in the training of their art. Folk had begun to trickle out of the many doorways lining the courtyard. In a moment, that trickle became a steady flow. Tatara flew up to land on Turm's shoulder. You go. We'll say goodbye from here. Turm looked to the others and back to meet eyes with Simpha. He nodded gratefully. I'll only be a moment. Following Meineken, Turm climbed down the clattering rope ladder. 
The usual sense of relief hit him as his feet touched the earth. After looking at each other a moment, Minikin turned to Turim and gave a long, low bow. Turim returned it, smiling with sadness at their parting. We've been through many ordeals together in the past several days. I think I've repaid your life debt many times over, said Minikin, though I owe you a lifetime more. It is said that often a friendship is forged in this manner. And so it has been, said Turim. I owe you several debts of my own. I pray you succeed here, Master Shadowstar, for the sake of Genova and for the people of your city. I promise you, I'll do everything I can to send reinforcements. Minikin's face was unchanged, but he nodded. I trust you will. Coming from a double door along the northern wall of the dojo, Turim looked over to see a pinkish-haired girl, dressed in a short purple gi and long dark boots, toes split in the fashion Minikin wore. Across her right eye, she had a dark tattoo of what Turim assumed was a raven's talon. As she appeared, the scattered ninja fell silent and formed two ranks. Minikin leaned to Turim with a whisper. This is Ninja Master Ryuki Purplefist. Master Shadowstar, cried Ryuki. She rushed to him. You're alive! We thought they got you too. Minikin stepped towards her. The pair bowed to one another, and then her arms wrapped his head in an embrace. What do you mean? Two. Minikin dropped his head slowly and removed his hood. Who got two? Ryuki was quiet for a moment, her face solemn. Elder Master Deepender is gone, she replied, letting out a slow and controlled exhale. The Dark Elf assassins succeeded.